You already heard the phrase a number of times. It's on the front of your service folder. Churches for for everyone. It's in your, your service folder, the sermon theme. Churches for everyone. And I think that if you look under our logo and you see that, that tagline, Seeking the Lost, Serving the Found, it captures that idea, doesn't it, that church is for everyone. Because all of us, even those here this morning, fall into one or the other of those categories. Either we are lost or found. We are either believers or unbelievers, maybe seeking, searching. But we're one of those. And so our our tagline, our, our approach, a reminder as a church body of why we're here captures that church is for everyone. But is that true? When we say that church is for everyone, do we mean that or are we just kind of towing the company line because the church is supposed to be for everyone? Or are there individuals, maybe specific individuals or representative individuals or groups, types of people that you have to admit that if you saw them walk in this morning, let alone maybe sit right next to you in your pew or your seat, you would have to really wonder if church is for them. You'd really, really struggle welcoming them. Is church really for somebody with that kind of a history? Is church really for somebody who voted for that candidate? Is church really, let's be honest, is it really for somebody who still today struggles with that or maybe doesn't struggle at all but openly embraces something that we know is wrong or disagree with? Is church even for, for that type of person? And as much as, if we're going to be honest, we might struggle with certain people being welcomed or allowed into the church, it is true, nonetheless, that church is for everyone. In that respect, Christianity is the most inclusive religion there is. Christianity doesn't have any requirement. It doesn't have any permit. It doesn't have an application that has to be filled out. There's no vetting process to see if you make the grade. There's no referrals that are required to vouch for you. There is no requirement that needs to be made to belong to Christ's church. There is nothing you have to do. So yes, church is for everyone because what Jesus Christ has done, he did for everyone. From the day that he was born till the day that he died, his perfect life of obedience was for everyone so that in him we would have that rightness, that goodness, that perfection that God requires so that everybody could have that. And not only that, but, but Jesus went to the cross, as we mentioned in the children's sermon, to give his life as the perfect sacrifice, an innocent sacrifice, an undeserved sacrifice in his own right, but to do it so that all sins of everyone would be completely paid for and washed away. And because he did, that means that condemnation and even the power of death itself don't really hold any power over anyone. Jesus has, has done away with, with all of those things. And so because of Jesus, what Jesus has done, since that is for everyone, so also is Jesus' church for everyone. But church isn't actually for everyone. 
is it? And some of you know exactly what I mean when, when I state it that way. It might even be you here this morning or family members or friends that, that have kind of avoided the invitation that you've offered to them or don't want much to do with organized religion. And, and the reason is because church isn't for me. I'm just not that type of church-going person. I understand and respect that it's for other people, but church just isn't for me. And when they say that, they, they likely, you maybe likely have a, a good reason for that. Maybe you grew up being forced to go to church week in and week out, and the one thing that you noticed was lacking over time was any sort of grace or compassion that's supposed to flow from church. That wasn't your experience, and so church isn't for you. Maybe your experience with Christians has only been one that, that sees what hypocrites they are. You know what they profess to believe. You know they, they claim to go to this place on, on Sundays, but what you see in their lives doesn't match up with what they profess to believe. And so you want nothing to do with those kinds of hypocrites. Church isn't for, for you. Or maybe your life has just been fine without church. You, you can take it or leave it. You don't need it. You, you've been fine to this point, so why, why fix what ain't broke? Church just isn't for me. And you're right. Finally, at the end of the day, we would have to agree with anybody that says church isn't for them. But we want to be clear on why church isn't for them. It's not because they aren't welcome to church, hopefully. It's not because they don't somehow meet the standard of requirement or the, the certain form or shape that a, a Christian or a believer is supposed to take or look like. It's not because what Jesus did for all people, somehow he didn't do for them. It's not because they wouldn't even stand to be blessed by belonging to a church. It's actually none of those reasons. No, the only reason that, that we could agree that, that church is not for someone is if they don't need it. See, if, if they don't need what church or the Lord of the church, Jesus, has to offer, then of course church isn't for them. And it won't be for them until they realize how much they need Jesus. The woman in the gospel this morning, the Canaanite woman, she needed Jesus. I mean, really needed Jesus. And that's evident by her persistence, her, her pestering of Jesus. And what's shocking in this account is the response that Jesus gives, almost just totally dismissing, giving, giving her the cold shoulder. And then he kind of explains his actions. If you look in the, the gospel account for us, he explains to her in verse 24, or verse 26 rather, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And I don't know if, if that comes across as an insult initially, but Jesus didn't necessarily mean it. There's different terms for dog. Let me try to explain what Jesus is saying to her without dismissing her as, uh, as a dog in the, the sense that that time and that culture would have been totally a derogatory comment. Think of gathering around with your family this week for a meal and you have done all of the work of preparing that meal. The table has been set and everybody is called now to the dinner table. Food is placed on the table and it's about ready to be served. But before you do, before anybody puts any food on their plate, they go get the doggy dish from the puppy and say, let's serve little spot first. 
And then we put the plate down in front of, of spots. And when he has had enough to eat, then the rest of us will eat if there's any left over. Jesus is saying that's absurd. None of us would do that. Even if you have the cutest, most precious little puppy dog in your house, people eat first. And that's what Jesus was saying to the woman. I came for a very specific reason. I came to, to seek the Israelites, the Jewish people. God's plan was always, first and foremost, to reach the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and then to flow through them into the rest of the world. And as remarkable as that, that is, what's really shocking is the woman's response to Jesus. Jesus tells her outright, as I already read, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And her response, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I don't know about you, but there aren't too many people who are brazen or bold enough to just contradict Jesus and call him out, to clap back at him after what he just said. Maybe his enemies near the end of his life as they were emboldened and resolute in putting him to death. But to have this kind of boldness to just basically contradict, it sounds like, Jesus, you're wrong, Jesus. It is actually okay. The dogs will eat the crumbs on the table. How could she be so bold to God in the flesh, to Jesus himself? Well, you, you heard the gospel, right? You know the situation that she was wrestling with. You know why she was distraught and so persistent. She explained it earlier crying out to Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And anybody here this morning with the heart of a parent knows exactly how she felt. When you see your child suffering, excruciating pain, any kind of pain really, there is very little that you would not do to try and, and help your child in that situation. And so she goes to the one that she knows can do something about it. And it's not just that she knows Jesus can meet that need. It's, it's what she asks of Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. What is mercy? Mercy is the undeserving ask, asking for what is undeserved. In other words, this woman, this Canaanite woman, did not come to Jesus because she was entitled to it, because she expected, because she felt she deserved it. She came pleading for mercy, knowing who Jesus was, knowing who she was, that she was nothing. That is mercy. The undeserving, asking the undeserved of the one who can serve it. The one who can offer that mercy that she was begging for. There's no arrogance. There's no haughtiness. There's no overconfidence in the part of the woman just perfectly humble, pleading for mercy. I know I don't deserve this of you, Jesus. But I also know this. Mercy is your middle name. And so she pleads for mercy. Now maybe... Maybe church isn't for you because you don't need anything from Jesus. You don't need his mercy. You don't need his help. Everything in, in your life is going swimmingly. You have a good marriage. You're a good parent. You're a good worker. You're a good neighbor. 
You're good everything. The list goes on and on. You don't have any struggles. There's no weaknesses. There's no temptations, no addictions, no, no remorse, no guilt in your life. Everything is just great. And so you don't have a need of Jesus. Which I think something, I'm, I'm sure I just said, must have struck you to say, okay, well, maybe not entirely. But let's just pretend that's the case, that you don't need Jesus at all. Let's come at this from a, a little bit different angle and ask yourself this question. What if Jesus needs you? Why on earth would Jesus need me? If Jesus is God, God doesn't need anything from anybody. As we said, he can snap his finger and, and he, can, he can grant any wish, anything that anybody needs. He doesn't need you or me to carry out anything except for this. God has chosen to need you and me. Isn't that really what Isaiah was getting at as he, in the, the first lesson, the first reading that we heard this morning, he was talking not just about how salvation was for the Jewish people of Israel, but it was going to reach the ends of the earth and people from other nations were going to be gathered as well. And listen to what Isaiah said in verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Now you hear those, those words, to minister to him, to bind yourself to the Lord, to be his servant. What do you tend to think of? Going to church, doing churchy things, doing religious things, giving offerings, maybe like the monks or, or nuns and joining a monastery or a convent. That's the kind of stuff, that's what it means to be the servant of the Lord, to serve him and minister to him, right? But you realize what a small, yes, that is a part of it, but what a small part of that service to the Lord really is. When we say that the Lord needs you, it's not just that he needs you to go to church. That's a part of it. He needs you to be his arms and legs, his hands and his feet to extend his love and his care and his compassion to the world. He chooses to do that through you, through his church. He calls you. He says, I need you to do this. This is how the world is going to know of my love and care and compassion. This is going to be how the world knows the blessings that abound through a relationship with me. It's through you. It's through his church. It's through believers, through your love and service to your neighbor. And really, Paul kind of had the same picture in the second reading from Ephesians as he depicted the church not being a physical building, but it's made up of people. It's made up of souls that know that they have been redeemed. And notice the building project is ongoing. It's a continuous project being built up into a temple. And, and not only are we being shaped to fit that building perfectly as God wants it, uh, through the rest of our lives, but, but he's adding more and more stones to build up through you and me. So yes, the Lord needs you. Jesus needs you to carry out his work. Now if we can, can grasp that, if we can embrace that truth, then maybe it's not such a, a stretch for us to to pursue the kind of faith that Jesus commended in this Canaanite woman. Not too many times in Scripture that Jesus commends somebody with a great faith. So what is it that made her faith so great? 
She wasn't there to toot her own horn or draw attention to her own faith, saying, look at everybody, look at me, look at how persistent I am to this Jesus. Did you hear how I just pushed back on what he said? Pretty amazing. No. What made her faith great was that it focused on Jesus, front and center. And this really makes two weeks in a row now that we see that kind of faith. Last Sunday, we saw Peter and Jesus as they were walking on water. Peter's faith very flawed, and yet twice he, he looked to his Savior after being reluctant to, to wait and see the proof that Jesus was, in fact, who was walking on the water to him. Once he said, get out of the boat, Peter did just that. What a great faith. And then he started sinking. Not such a great faith. But then instead of trying to get his way out of that, to swim out of it, or somehow work his way back up to the service, he looked directly, immediately at Jesus, says, Lord, save me. Which is exactly what the Canaanite woman did. Lord, save my daughter. Have mercy on me. I need your help. That's what makes faith great, is when Jesus is the focal point. Jesus front and center. This Wednesday, we are going to begin, begin another school year. And not just any school year, but the 50th anniversary of our elementary school, kindergarten all the way through 8th grade. What is it that makes our school stand out? It's, it's not just that it's a, a private school. It's not just that kids graduate and they are well prepared to succeed and excel at the next level in high school and college. It's because here... They know Jesus. It's because here Jesus is front and center in their lives. And though their academic scores, their test scores are important, and though we give those priority and attention, none of that is as valuable as teaching students and little ones that Jesus is for them. Why is, is that so valuable? Why is that the most important thing? Because, newsflash, any students in our school, and any of you here this morning, and myself included, until the day we die, we are going to have needs. And I don't care how loving your parents are, I mean, I do care, but I don't care how friendly your neighbors are, or how exceptional any sort of professional practitioner is, there are certain needs that all of us have and our students have that nobody else can meet but Jesus. Only Jesus loves our little ones unconditionally. Only Jesus is willing to forgive without limitation. Only Jesus is able to bend his ear to every request and not only bend his ear, but answer every prayer offered up to him. And again, no matter how great and wonderful and loving your parents or grandparents or, or your, net, your support system is, there are just things that only Jesus can provide. Needs that only Jesus can meet. And so what stands apart with, with our school is not just the great education that is received, but that our children learn for life to look to Jesus again and again as the one to meet all of their needs. 
And as we have the privilege of installing two of our teachers this morning, really, what a great reminder that when you pursue, when you go into the public teaching ministry to spend each and every day with little ones in your classroom, that is what you are committing to. You are committing to pointing them to Jesus again and again, to the one who is for them, the Jesus who is, is for them. Yes, we have lots of different opportunities in our classrooms and, and throughout the day to model that and to mentor these little ones and to focus on learning and, and teaching different subjects, but all of these are simply different ways that we can show them how much Jesus is for them. And Jesus is not just for them, not just for the students in our classroom. Jesus is for you as well. Jesus is for all people as well. And because he is, his church is also for you. His church is also for all people. This church is for you. Amen.